Imagine with me that you were given an invitation to board a ship heading to a magnificently beautiful island. And on that island are the most breathtaking views you have ever seen. The fruit is bountiful and always perfect. The weather is never too hot or too cold. And the joy that you will experience there will never grow old. Now imagine that you found out, though, that the price to live on that island is something that you could never afford. You couldn't even pay the price to step foot on the island. But then as you're reading the invitation, you notice that the price to live on the island has been paid for. And all you have to do is board the ship and perform the crew's duties, trusting that the benefactor has paid the price and will take you through the treacherous waters to the island. How would you respond? Now, though this is not a perfect illustration and nothing could ever be, this is like the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we will see in our passage today is Jesus teaching on how people respond to the gospel and calling us to respond in faith. So please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. And our passage begins with examples to pay attention to. Notice how Luke opens up in verses 1 through 3. He writes, soon afterward, he, being Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming the kingdom and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now we first see that Luke is linking our passage to the one that we studied last week by starting out saying, soon afterward. And in doing this, he draws attention to the woman's saving faith that we saw last week, evidenced by her love for Jesus Christ. We also see that he shares the substance of the word that Jesus is proclaiming, being the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel. But the main thing that stands out in this opening is the attention that he gives to the women who are following Jesus. He provides details of the amazing deliverance and healing showing that these are women who experienced Jesus' power and love. He points out that one of the women is Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, showing how the glory of Jesus has spread to the royal household and highlighting her response to that message. And finally, he speaks of a woman named Susanna, who gets no mention in the rest of the Bible and says that there are many others. Now, what is Luke's purpose in highlighting these women? And I think it's twofold. One purpose is to point to women who would have been known at the time this gospel is written. And because of this, people could see these women as those who continued to follow Jesus. The second purpose, I think, is to highlight their responses to Jesus' healing and teaching 
as commendable for us to follow. And notice that he shows that they provided for the disciples and Jesus out of their means. You see, they met Jesus, they heard his teaching, and they chose the life of discipleship. Lives that left everything to follow Jesus and use their resources to serve his mission. And this is an example that we should all seek to follow. We should look at these women and we should say, I want to serve Christ like them. They were disciples of Jesus. They were serving the king of the kingdom. They were advancing the gospel. And just think about how Luke is valuing and elevating these women as examples that we should pay attention to. And I think these examples also connect with the next section and the rest of what Luke will record. And in our next section, what we see is a parable to understand. After this opening, verses 4 through 15 focus our attention on a parable Jesus gives to a crowd and the explanation that he gives to his disciples. So let's begin by just reading verses 4 through 15 together before we unpack them. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell among good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved." And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, as we examine this parable, we can start with a few observations. If you noticed, as we move through the parable, we find that the sower and the seed never changes. The sower simply goes out and sows the seed. They remain consistent. What changes in the parable is the type of soil in which the seed lands or the ground on which it falls. So this tells us that the focus of the parable is on the soil. 
And what does the soil then refer to? Well, we find our answer as we consider the explanation of the first and the last soil that Jesus gives to his disciples. If you notice in verse 12, he shows that the first soil has the seed taken away from their hearts. And in verse 15, the last soil are those with an honest and good heart. So the soils in the parable, the ground, represents man's heart in response to this seed that is thrown. And then we see that the seed is defined by Jesus in verse 11, where he says, the seed is the word of God. Now, when we see this parable in connection to the opening, which revealed that the substance of Jesus' proclamation was the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, and we notice at the end of verse 12 that the word is taken from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved, we can see that the word of God primarily refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So putting all these observations together, we discover that the parable is focusing on man's hearts in its response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. And Jesus gives us four general responses to notice. Let's examine each one of these together. The first response to the gospel is from hearts that immediately reject the word of God. In verse 5, the parable speaks of seed falling along the path and being trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devouring it. Now, these would have been footpaths between the fields that people traveled on. And as the sower is walking in the field, throwing the seed, some of it falls along these footpaths that have never been plowed and instead are hard as a rock. And so what happens is the seed simply just lays on the surface, never getting into the soil, and it gets trampled on, or birds swoop down to eat it. Then as Jesus explains this soil in verse 12, he shows that the picture is of the devil coming and taking away the word of God from their hearts. This shows us, one, that the devil is concerned with people believing in the gospel. So he devises means to take the word from them. Means like distraction or pride or false contradiction. And we want to see that the devil is actively seeking to keep people from believing. However, I think we should remember that the focus of the parable is on the soil itself. So think about it. If the soil wasn't hard, the seed wouldn't just lay on top of it and be trampled on and eaten in the first place. So while we do want to recognize that the devil can influence the rejection of the gospel, we see that it is a hardness of heart that is ultimately behind this rejection. Now, if we go back to our illustration at the beginning of the ship and the invitation to go to the island, this response to the call to board that ship is the response that says, I don't need to go to that island. I have everything I need. I don't want the hassle of serving on board to get there. There's no way the island could ever be worth all of that. 
So they never board the ship at all. The second response we see, though, is from hearts that shallowly receive the word of God. In verse 6, the parable speaks of seed falling on the rock. And as it grows up, it withers away because it had no moisture. Now, this isn't depicting ground that has rocks in it as though the sower didn't toil the ground properly. What it instead depicts is soil that looks like good soil on the surface, but underneath has a bedrock that keeps the root from accessing consistent water. And in this kind of environment, a plant would eventually wither away, producing no crop. And in verse 13, Jesus describes this soil as hearts that receive the word with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, fall away. This again appears to be a, resp- this re- appears to be a response of true belief. And it is even accompanied by an emotion of joy in hearing the gospel. But as it is tested, as trials come, as difficulties arise... It proves that there is never any root to flourish under the heat. The word of God never took root in the heart of this person. So imagine our illustration again. And imagine that everyone who initially received the invitation to board the ship joined. And during the voyage, the ship encountered a violent storm. And it was rocking back and forth, and the waves were beating on the ship. These hearts are those that then say in that moment, the island is no longer worth it. And they leave the boat to return to where they took off from, never arriving at the island. Now the third response that we see next is from hearts that dividedly respond to the word of God. In verse 7, the parable describes these as seed that fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked the life out of it. There would be no ability for seed to live among thorns, choking the life out of it. And in his teaching, in verse 14, Jesus says that these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Though again, there appears to be a response to the word of God. What happens is the cares of this world compete with the call of the word of God. Likewise, riches and pleasures compete with the word. Now what I think we need to see is that this is ultimately devastating for these hearts. Notice Jesus says that their fruit does not mature. A church, immature fruit is not good fruit. And there are two passages in Luke that we have seen before this that show us how devastating this lack of good fruit is. If you remember back in Luke 6.43, Jesus calls out and says, No good tree bears bad fruit. Meaning that a good tree bears mature, good fruit. And in Luke 3, 8 through 9, 
the message of John the Baptist is this. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So church, lacking good fruit is devastating. This shows me that these hearts are not true believing hearts. And church, this means that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. You either truly believe and bear good fruit, or you don't truly believe at all. If we go back to our illustration of the ship, these hearts would be like people who set out on the voyage. They maybe even weather a storm or two, but as they are on the ship, they become discouraged by the work that they need to do to get to the island. And then they're enticed by drink and food. And these cares and these enticements cause them to leave, never reaching the beautifully magnificent island promised. This brings us to the fourth response that we see from hearts that enduringly embrace the word of God. In verse 8, this is described in the parable as good soil that grows and yields a hundredfold. On this yield, the InterVarsity Press background commentary notes that yields of a hundredfold are tremendously good harvest from Galilean soil. For much of Palestine, the average yield was tenfold meaning 10 seeds were harvested for every seed sown. So Jesus is pointing to a soil that produces a great harvest, 100 seeds for every seed sown. And in verse 15, he explains that this refers to those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, there are two actions that Jesus describes here, both referring to perseverance. The first is that they hold fast to the word of God. I thought of a child who's clinging to their favorite blanket or stuffed animal, and they carry it around with them wherever they go. The idea is a true embrace of the gospel involves clinging to its truths, never letting it go, banking everything on it. And the next action is that they are bear good fruit. And did you notice how they bear fruit? Jesus says, with patience. The idea of the word is to place yourself under a trial, to remain under, to endure under a trial. And in my studies, I ran across the description of sunflowers. And the writer shared this. Sunflowers sprout in a carefree manner all over the world. Pollinated by bees, the plants spring up on sides of the highways, under bird feeders, across fields, meadows, and prairies. To produce a harvest, however, sunflowers need good soil. Well-drained, slightly acidic, nutrient-rich soil 
finally produces tasty sunflower seeds and pure oil. Young sunflowers are patient in their growth, following the sun's movement throughout the day. They turn sunward daily in a process called heliotropism. Mature sunflowers are just as deliberate. They turn eastward permanently, warming the face of the flower and increasing visits from pollinator bees. And this, in turn, produces a greater harvest. There is an enduring embracing of the word of God, of the gospel that every true believer has, where time and time again, they turn to it for growth and for life. So if we're on that ship, this represents people who have boarded that ship with a firm trust in the beauty that awaits them on the island. And as the storm comes, they cling to the post and the rails, reminding themselves that the voyage is worth it. When enticements come or discouragements over the work necessary, they endure and continue in patience, knowing that the reward of the island awaits them. And these are four general responses that Jesus declared will come to the proclamation of the gospel. And so the next points that we will see become vitally important. And as we see these, we see them when we notice that the passage is centered around the idea of hearing. The word is repeated eight times throughout the passage. And what we see are two commands for those listening. And the first comes in verse 8. And it is a command, a call to truly hear. Notice what Luke records at the end of the parable in verse 8. As he, Jesus, said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. For some of you listening this morning, this is the most important command for you today. It is a call to truly hear the word of God, the gospel. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, his original audience did not have the privilege of hearing the explanation of the parable. They were simply called to hear. But though we have the explanation, we are no less tempted to truly hear. So the question is, how do we truly hear? And I believe the answer is found in the initial interaction with Jesus and his disciples. What we see is the disciples asking for the meaning of the parable. And Jesus responds first by explaining why he speaks in parables in verse 10. And he essentially says the gospel is a mystery that is hidden for some and revealed to others. But pay attention to what he says about those to whom the mystery is not revealed. He says that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. That is our clue. To truly hear means to understand, to go deeper than merely listening with our ears. And I think we see part of what this looks like when we see the disciples asking for the meaning. 
they're showing a longing to understand. And that desire itself is evidence of truly hearing. So the first call this morning in response to this passage is a call to truly hear the word of the gospel. The truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh to ransom us. That he bore our sin on the cross. He took the debt that we owed and he paid it in full. He rose victorious over death, securing life for all who trust in him. And he will return to make all things new, inviting those who have trusted in him to everlasting joy in his presence. For some, you need to truly hear that word this morning. And maybe that means responding in faith right now to trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe that means seeking someone out to explain things further. We would love to talk to you if that is you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the second command we see though is probably where most of ourselves will find ourselves in response to this passage. And this command is a challenge to continuously hear. Look at the verses that follow the parable and its explanation in Luke 8, 16 through 21. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now we can see the connection to the parable by the repetition of the word hear in verses 18 and 21. And verse 18 is where we find the challenge, the command. Take care then how you hear. And this is a command given to those who have truly heard Because we see in the context, it's given to the disciples after the explanation. So what does it look like to take care of how we, as Jesus' disciples, hear? And I believe our answer is in each one of these sections. In verses 16 through 17, Jesus gives a clear illustration of a lamp. And he says, when you light a lamp, you would never then immediately cover that lamp or put it under a bed. That would be pointless. No, instead what you would do is you would set that lamp on a stand to get the maximum light you can in the room. And the purpose, he says, get this, is so that those who enter may see the light. Now because of the context and connection to the parable, we can determine that the light is the seed, which is the word of God. So part of taking care of how we hear the word of God involves letting the light-lit lamp shine so that others will see the light. 
And what I believe this means is that the word of God transforms our life in such a way that the light of the word is visible for others to see. It also means that our desire is for others to see the light. We're not selfish with the light, but we seek instead to shine the light. We want people to know the word of God. Now, the second section teaches us through the response of Jesus when his mother and his brothers are looking for him. Did you notice what he said? He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So taking care of how we hear then is by doing the word, by seeking to live that word out. And I think both of these challenges lead us ultimately to the challenge of evaluating our hearts because the focus was on the heart. Church, it's the soil that produces the harvest. So we aren't being called to simply try harder to obey or try harder to let our light shine. Yes, we want to work to obey, but we are being called ultimately, I think, to evaluate our hearts to say, how is my heart responding to trials? How is my heart in relationship to the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world? Is the light of God's word shining through me? Am I consistently responding to the word of God? Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, says this, about what we should do with the word of God. He says, take every word as spoken to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think, God means my sins. When it presses any duty, God intends me in this. Many put off scripture for themselves as if it only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. A medicine will be no good unless it is applied. So we need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the gospel. We need to apply it to ourselves, holding fast to it and bearing fruit with patience. So the question that I think we're all needing to ask is, what do we do if in our evaluation we identify ourselves with one of the other three soils? I think what we do is we place ourselves at the foot of the cross. We fall on our face before our Savior and we ask God to change our hearts. One of the brothers in our home group when I asked how this passage challenges them, said this, it challenges me to continually ask for God to give me an honest and good heart. Yes, yes, that is what we need. We need good hearts to produce good fruit. Now we've sought to understand the parable And we've considered the commands of Jesus in response to it. And we've seen examples to pay attention to. But I want to leave you with one valuable thing that we haven't covered in the passage yet. And that is promises 
to motivate us. You see, we could look at this passages and passages like it, and we could say that sounds like a whole lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. And our hearts might ask in that moment, are there any rewards for this? And we can help our hearts by answering that question with a resounding yes. Yes, there are great rewards. First, as I mentioned, there is the reward of everlasting joy in the presence of God forever. The island stands before us. Remember back to the promises of Luke 6, 20 through 22, that blessed are those who follow Jesus because they have the kingdom of God. They will be satisfied. They will laugh and they will have a great reward in heaven. So if there are moments when you don't see the blessings now, look to the rewards that are coming in heaven and say, yes, it will be worth it. I will hold fast to your word and I will bear fruit with patience. But Jesus doesn't just promise rewards in heaven. Notice the rewards he promises for this life in this passage. In the parable of the seeds, he speaks of a harvest that yields a hundredfold. This means that as we trust in Christ and as we seek to continuously hear his word, we will bear fruit. Fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But notice also what he says in verse 18. After the call to take care then how you hear, he says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now there is a warning here. And that warning is that if we don't take care, what we think we have, the understanding of the word of God we think we have, will be taken away. And this is because, as he said in verse 17, all hearts will be exposed. The light will one day expose everything. And it will prove that you either had the word of God or you did not have the word of God. But what I want to focus on is the reward. The reward of more being given to the one who has. Oh, church, cling to that reward. This means as we continuously hear, we will receive more truth, more understanding. We will receive the truth of God and his glory delighting our souls. We will receive more understanding of his love and goodness. We will be given more of the joy in his presence. We will bear more fruit and be used more by him for his glory with him getting the glory and us getting the joy. Those are the promises that motivate us. More of his presence and goodness now and greater reward in heaven than we could ever imagine. Oh, church, the beauty of the island is worth it. It is so worth it. So take care then how you hear. Let me pray this over us this morning.
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make your name magnificently beautiful in our eyes and on our hearts. God, I pray for those listening that have not trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will open their eyes to your glory, that you will give them good hearts this morning, hearts that truly hear. And I pray for all who follow Christ and feel the temptations of not holding fast. For those who may be experiencing a drought where fruit is not evident, God, give us hearts to take care of how we hear. Draw us to your word. Delight us with your presence. Create in us clean hearts. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And show us that the rewards you promise are worth it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.